Hello and welcome to the Produce Retail Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Nickel, and I am delighted to have with us today Ashley Finster, a longtime food marketing executive whose remarkable career has included strategy, brand building, and category management work across produce, meat, and CPG. Ashley could honestly share insight with us on dozens of topics, but today we're going to focus mainly on category management, and I'll tell you why. So in an earlier episode of this podcast, we spoke with Jesse Hemango, most recently the Assistant Director of Produce at Fresh Time Market, about category management on the part of the retailer. And I find category management a really compelling topic. It's an area, of course, of significant influence. And so I want our listeners to get to hear about that category management on the supplier side of the table so they can understand kind of the expertise and resources that may just be right there waiting for them if they want to partner more closely, ask the right questions, go down that road a little more deeply. So after that admittedly long-winded intro and background on this topic, Ashley, thank you so much for being with us and welcome to the podcast. Ashley, thank you so much for having me on your show today. I'm excited to talk with you about category management. Absolutely. And before we dive in, I want to give you a chance to share a little more on your background, Ashley. How did you get into the wonderful world of the food marketing space? Yeah, so um, back in about 2005, this is a long time ago now, um, I was working at Deloitte Consulting um, and I just knew that I wanted to work with something that aligned with my passion. And there were really two options for me and food was one of them. Um, I love to cook um, and I love really specifically healthy food um, or trying to make healthy food as accessible as possible to people and so they can understand it. And so I got an opportunity to have a strategy role, a marketing strategy role, really at the Wonderful Company. And the Wonderful Company has a variety of perimeter type items such as, you know, pomegranates, citrus, almonds, pistachios. I also worked on their non-perimeter businesses like Palm Wonderful, the juice and Fiji water. But that um, that was how I got in is they gave me the opportunity to move into that strategy group. And then from there, um, I became, got even deeper, really primarily in marketing items on the perimeter. Um, and I launched the Cuties Mandarin Orange brand and took it from what it was to be a very tiny, um, to be a you know, half a billion dollar business. Um, and then continue to work on other food brands in the perimeter, like um, Sunfed Ranch most recently, which is a regenerative grass-fed um, beef brand that's also nationally carried nationally. And, and category management was a part of my role at, at both of these jobs and was integral to really understanding and figuring out how to grow the brands. Excellent. Well, Let's let's start at the beginning as far as category management, because so we know we've got listeners with different backgrounds and, and we'll we'll start with the basics. What is category management on the supplier side of things? It's funny. So in preparation for this conversation, I thought, you know, I've never even like looked up the definition of category management. So I did. And interestingly, there were a ton of different definitions out there as to what it means. So um, I'll give you, you know, my definition of category management, which is really analyzing sell-through data or sales data um, within a particular group of products, a category, and then really understanding what you can do to change the performance of those products 
So, so technically, I think the what you can do isn't necessarily a part of the definition of category management, but, but why do it if you're not going to be trying to influence your performance in one way or the other? And I think, you know, different retailers define categories differently. So that's, you know, some retailers may define, you know, the category is fruit, where other retailers may define it as like berries and melons and so I think I think you just have to understand the dynamics you're working with with the retailer and the space that you're in as to what what equals a category. And my understanding is historically category management has been much more prevalent on the CPG side than in fresh. Tell us a little bit about that dynamic, why that's traditionally been the case, and yeah. we're seeing a little movement in the other direction too. Yeah. So there's I think there's several reasons why that's the case. So first of all. So much specifically produce is sold in the random weight format. And many of these data providers couldn't even capture random weight data. And so initially, like there's just a data problem in general. Um, now, it used to be there were very specific companies. There was um, a company called Fresh Facts or the Parasitables Group. And they were the only ones that were really able to do that. Both of those companies, one got bought by IRI, the other got bought by Nielsen, although IRI is now like, I believe it's called Circana. But um, so those companies got folded in. So first of all, initially there was just an issue with the data. Um, second, um, I think that because it's a non, it can be non-packaged, right? Um, it's hard to really understand how the brand is performing, right? It's it's primarily a commodity marketplace. And many of the branded folks have not had an interest in really doing it because one week they're in and the next week they're out. And so if you're not regularly in a retailer, what would be the incentive for you to participate in this? If it's, you know, in the citrus division, if it's, you know, Sunkissed one week and the next week it's wonderful, you know, it's it's hard to really want to invest in that. So again, the sort of the view of it being a commodity. And then, you know, the perimeter margins are much thinner than they are in the center of the store for the suppliers. Um, and so again, this is an investment of time. It's an investment of resources. Um, and I think, so I think number one, money's typically tighter. And again, maybe they don't have the money to invest. And they are also don't have really the staff. You have to, it's a conscious decision if you want to go into this. Um, it's, it is not rocket science, but someone has to have certain skills or interests to be able to do it. So I think that's, you know, primarily the main reason. And, and probably the biggest driver of that is the commodity nature, the somewhat commodity nature. Any big branded produce ent entity will, will be doing this. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's very enlightening on the data piece, I think, because that that kind of tells us a little bit how fresh, you know, is a little behind the eight ball from the mm -hmm. get go, probably. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think even even when they do capture the data, there's errors there in terms of coding. They actually need people in the industry to help them code the data properly. I would say both of the times when we started with when I started with Citrus. So we became category captain for some retailers at Citrus and in the Citrus division. And I had to go in and work with, at the time, it was the perishables group to recode their data because um, they're different sizes of oranges and they weren't properly capturing it. And so it just gets hard to, and so if you don't properly capture the size, the, the weight's going to be off because they're, you know, yeah, it's a little different. I think they're capturing actual transactional data and weight on the scale instead of approximating it. So so things have gotten much better, but um, 
you know, if, if you don't really understand the category, same with grass-fed beef, there was a lot of miscoding of the labels as to whether or not it was grass-fed. And, you know, especially when you get into things like private label, um, the coding can be very, very um, obscured or, you know, you don't really know. So it's, you just have to really pay attention because there isn't like a, you better believe that, you know, the big CPGs like General Mills, they are watching their category like a hawk. They have departments devoted to it. And if there's one miscoding of data, they catch it and they change it. And in and, and the produce world, there really isn't that player that exists, you know, that's the hawk that's yeah. fixing things. So, mm -hmm. Well, and you mentioned a moment ago, Ashley, too, in addition to the time investment, the money investment on, on the supply side, it's the talent investment. And so what are right. some of the baseline skills? And you said interests, you know, for, for yeah. somebody to kind of take yeah. on that role. Yeah. So um, you have to just be analytical and enjoy analyzing and looking at data. Um, you have to be skilled at Excel. <laughs> so um, in my opinion, um, so that's if you want to, if you want to get really more serious about it. If you just want to lightly understand it, um, one thing that's gotten a lot better is these retailers, I'm sorry, the, the data providers have dashboards and things of that nature that you don't necessarily need Excel. For, for me personally, I extract everything and pivot it myself because I just don't like, I like to, um, but, but the tools have gotten so much better. So maybe Excel is a little less required. Certainly if you want to take that next step, it is. But um, I think just being analytical, really understanding the retail dynamics um, in terms of pricing um, and things of that nature play, play into it. I, but all these platform providers like IRI, like Nielsen, they have deep training on their tools. Um, and so if you decide to do it, I think it just takes really an interest and an aptitude for analytics. I would say, you know, some people are like, I don't, I, I don't like math or I don't like numbers. Well, then that, this is not the job for you. Um, so I think just, just an interest in it. And I, you can get a lot of on the job or on, yeah, on the job training with, with whomever you sign up for. But, but interestingly, again, even going back to, to what we were talking about before, it's that like spins as an example, still doesn't even have random white data in their system. So if you're selling produce in the natural channel, there's literally no way for you to get that data. It's just, you can't get it because they don't do random weight, it, unless you're a packaged product. So for berries, as an example, it might be a lot easier, but for something that like apples, it's going to be impossible. Wow. Yeah. That is wild. I know. I still don't understand why Spins doesn't have random weight. I have, I have talked to them at length about it just because with all the companies I've worked with and they just don't want to do it. So. Mm -hmm. Well, and it was interesting too, when you mentioned kind of what folks need for this kind of role, it sounds like that's an opportunity where, you know, folks who haven't come up in grocery the traditional way, but they have some of that analytical background, you can kind of slot right in. And from, from kind of a career and recruiting perspective for grocers, that is a really interesting role, I think. Yeah, I think that um, if I think, too, if you're like a, a junior sales rep, too, and you, you know, you have that analytical bent, it can be a great move for you. Um, the reason I mentioned sales is because a lot of these companies don't have marketing divisions. I've always had category management under me as a marketer. 
um, because to me, it integrates so much in all the other things that I'm doing. But a lot of uh, companies will have it as a part of sales um, or sales analytics or sales operations. So it can be a great role for someone for someone junior if you're just willing to allow them to go to the training, invest a little training in them, perhaps finding them a mentor that can help make the process a lot easier and a lot faster. Um, and there's there's a lot of people out there too. If you don't want someone in your organization that offer these services on you know a part time basis, or there's um, systems you can subscribe to. But again, most of these um, data providers have sort of tried to take that stuff in house. And you know, if you buy a package from them, sometimes they'll provide even they'll even provide support. But again, the the key to successful category management is knowing what questions to ask and knowing where to peel the onion. And so that's why someone really junior without any industry experience might struggle a little bit because they maybe don't know the right questions to ask, um, but they can pair with their sales team or pair with their marketing team. Um, and easily, I've trained junior people easily understand it. And then after 18 months, they'll know they'll know better than you what questions to ask. So. <laughs> Well, and that's that's what I was thinking is as far as you want kind of some some analytical skill, but you also need knowledge of the business too, right? Yeah, it's kind of marrying right. those two. Mm -hmm. And you need to just be curious. You need to really understand like if you see something change, well, why did that happen? And that's when, you know, you can just look at a dashboard and that's when you you go that next level, right? So a lot of these data providers will provide you with an easy Jasper where you can see your performance um, and see what's happening. But whether or not that's sometimes that dashboard may provide an explanation as to why a lot of times it doesn't. And that's when you have to go that extra level deeper. So if all of a sudden your sales drop 20 percent one month or was up 20 percent one month, why is that? Um, typically a dashboard may or may not provide that. And it might be something that's not even going on in your category. It might like. It's an interesting example, right? Because sometimes people don't, like if you're the strawberry guy and all of a sudden you're down, well, maybe blueberries were on sale, right? Um, so that's understanding your category. But it also could be, well, citrus had a huge sale or something, right? So the dynamics between the categories are interesting. People swap um, different things. And so just kind of understanding, well, you know, where am I going to look? Or maybe there was something else. And the other thing not to forget about is the physical aspect of the store. So even though... We're talking about data here, which is primarily sitting at a desk and doing analyst, ana, ana, analysis. Um, it's critical that you walk in the store and see what's going on, too. People forget about that. And, um, you know, maybe one of your competitors had a packaging change. Maybe um, maybe you physically got moved. Maybe your product used to be here and they moved it over here and that really hurt you because now you're not on the walk or something. So I think, and that, that's obviously retailer specific. It wouldn't, that wouldn't be like a regional view, but you know, don't forget about that important aspect of going in the store on a regular basis and understanding what's physically happening in that environment. And then obviously talking to your buyer, you know, is, is critical too, but sometimes, you know, we don't get access to those buyers all that often. So, you know, but if you have a great relationship, you know, it's also real helpful to talk to them as well. So. Well, you've already hit on a number of things uh, of sort of our next subtopic, which is this like profile of the, the high performing category manager. What does yeah. that look like? One thing you mentioned is they've got to know the right questions to ask. What are some yeah. of the things that pop into your mind is the right questions? Yeah. So, um, 
it's really, you know, how, what's the movement of my product? So the main, so, so within the perimeter, I have seen the main metric be units per store per week or volume if you're looking at pounds per store per week or dollars per store per week um, be the metric that people seem to be most comfortable with. The, the, the actual right metric that people should be looking at is profit per linear foot, but that's a much more complicated metric um, that I tend to not see. It, I'm, in fact, in my entire career, I've only had one buyer mention that metric. I think, but I think that metric's very common in center of store. Um, so yeah, just, I think the question, you know, really is how is my product moving? Is it going up? Is it going down? Um, and what is that doing for the retailer? The other thing, obviously, in produce is shrink, which that's not something you get out of your, that you won't get that out of an IRI, but, but retailers are now selling their own data or sometimes providing it. So I had several retailers, like Kroger as an example, they sell you their data and you can get a lot more insight into shrink from their data. You can't get that in IRI. So you have to kind of decide which data sets going to be right for you because you obviously can't get competitive data just from meaning like other retailers data if you're just buying um, the retailer data. But so you got to make the decision what you want. But but yeah, you have to understand. I think a good category manager knows what metrics are important to that specific retailer and then hounds on them. And, and it changes, by the way, like some days they're all excited about reduction of shrink and the next week it's all about revenue and the next week it's about units. And so maybe not on a weekly basis, but I will say the winds of what metric people are excited about definitely changes depending on the economy. And right now, you know, I know people are really focused on shrink. Um, so because consumers are tightening up their wallets, perhaps people don't want to spend as much. So they've got to, they, they can't really raise prices right now. So there's more of an eye on shrink because maybe they've, maybe they've shortened their margins a little bit more. So, but again, every, certain retailers love volume. Others love units, you know, not very many really look at margin in the perimeter, but um, you know, and some people are even getting more sophisticated understanding baskets and cross shopping. And now I haven't mentioned anything like that. That's really more complex where you look at what people are putting in their basket. What type of profi profile does that give you of a consumer? So category management can extend beyond the basics is just, you know, how is my product selling versus the competition versus the category versus the region. But when you get into more sophisticated stuff, you can get into consumer profiles and what else are they putting in their basket and what does this person look like and what's what is what are the demographics and behaviors of this individual um so it just it, it, it can get a lot more sophisticated but sticking really more to the basics today so yeah absolutely well and like you said I imagine the same thing applies as you go deeper too right as far as from retailer to retailer what they care about their just depends, right? <laughs> exactly. It does depend. And, and you know, it's a great question. If you're going to launch into a category management program, it's a great question to ask. If you're, if you're buying retail-specific data, find out what's important to them and then structure the analysis of that retailer around that metric. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it's, it's important to engage your buyer. And again, it's important to understand the impact you can have with the data because... Again, some retailers are like, it's the requirement. They want you to do it. Other retailers really don't care. 
And it, you know, and so again, it's all about return on investment, right? And so if you're able to influence things, um, and, and sometimes you just want to know the category just for the supplier's sake and understanding the trends and, you know, I mean, things like certain produce items fall out of fashion, right? And then things get hot, right? So all of a sudden, like, think about kale, right? Who was eating kale, you know, 10 years ago? Like, no one, right? So, like, like kale, like, like that's an interesting, like, the greens category probably fundamentally changed because of kale. And then another trend would be, you know, the bagged in the bagged in the box lettuces. Again, 15 years ago, way less. Pro so it's, it's good to understand some of those macro things because, then you can get out front of it if all of a sudden there's been an innovation, you know, and you're missing the boat. So some of it is just for your own sake, not just retail performance. Well, and that's what I was was thinking too, in terms of kind of how how somebody in this role spends their time, how to prioritize mm -hmm. the different things that you want to find out and understand. Yeah. Yeah. So um for small companies, you probably actually don't even need someone full-time in this role. It might just be a part-time situation. Um, so there's that's exactly it, though. It's like, what do you spend your time on? Typically, you'll have a set of monthly reports answering the questions that we talked about. So it might be on a retailer basis. It might be on a regional basis. It might be, you know, even on the total U.S. just to understand trends. So you, you'll have a set of reports that you run and then you kind of look through that. Then from those reports, there might be a, a question that comes up, right? So you'll dive deeper into answering that specific question. Um, and then ultimately, too, you might your CEO or um, your sales team or your marketing person, um, again, they've always might have a question about, hey, well, what's going on here? And a lot of it is understanding, and I think this is fairly underutilized in, in the produce category, is understanding how your promotions work, right? When you go on sale, what happens? Do you stay the same? Do you bump up? Do you bump up enough to recover the lost margin that you just gave away? I mean, so I think, you know, really understanding and, and let me tell you, the dynamics of the promotions are very different at each retailer, too. That is one thing that I don't think you can look at promotional success or promotional, any sort of promotional success outside of a retailer. Like looking at the whole West Coast and what happens when you do a promotion is what well, I mean, it, it's so garbled based on, you know, that has to be a retailer specific thing if some Customers love BOGO. Some customers and some retailers love BOGO. Some some like an EDM strategy. Some like high loss drive. So it really is specific to the retailer and that retailer's customers and what they've been trained to do. Um, so I think looking at promotions is is a real critical part. But then, you know, looking at your competition too. What what are the other brands doing? Um, you know, are they growing? Are they shrinking? If they're shrinking, why? If they're growing, why? So. Um, I think basically it's good. You work with your team, sales, marketing, um, and the executives to answer questions about about what's happening in the marketplace. And you know, typically for the big um, providers, they update their data thirteen times a year. It's the is based on four week periods, and that is like the week that you spend doing that. Or you know, and you you it's almost like it's a week a month, right? That where you. And then you update the reports and then and then there's always ad hoc requests too um, that, that come up that might not be a part of your like standard and canned report. Um, or, you know, it, some of the data just can be super helpful to building cases. I 
did a lot of building a case studies for like if say for example you launched a new product or a new item or they, they switched brands in one retailer and you want to sell it into another retailer perhaps it's not like let's say they're not a competitor maybe they're but you want to show them what happened to the category when they added your product and assuming it's a positive story if it's a negative story then you have to ask yourself why and then try and fix it but if it's a positive story it can be a very helpful selling tool um as a part of getting into different retailers and and, and that's really ultimately what it is, is is a selling tool now with you mentioning it being a selling tool i know that you said when you've been in these these roles in the past, even though you were marketing, category management often fell under what yeah. you do. And I know you're really passionate about this concept yeah. of integrated marketing. Yes, yeah. So I think that, um, you know, if I'm running an external media campaign, and I, and I, I mean, one of the things as a marketer is you, you know, you A-B test things. So maybe I want it over here and not over here. I can look at the sales in this area versus this area and see if the campaign had any impact, which I've done multiple times, right? Um, and it can be a little hard to filter out the noise, which is why if you know your category dynamics, like if you know when certain things go on sale, you take a drop, you wanna make sure you take that into account um, with your analysis. But, um, but, but yeah, so I use it to understand the performance of campaigns because ultimately the reason you do marketing is to achieve a sales list. Now, and if you're not seeing it, then, you know, then it can be problematic. Um, and obviously there's other reasons to do marketing brand awareness and, and things of that nature, um, which have a much longer time where, you, where you'll see a lift and, and things like that. But if you're doing it, and I think understanding too, you know, the whole... Again, everyone is really sales and marketing are both joined at trying to get the product off the shelf. And I, I view it, you know, it's everyone's job, but sales job is really, you know, get that product on the shelf, right? And in this retail environment and marketing's job is really get that product off the shelf. And so um, understanding what drives that is, is really helpful. And, and I would say, you know, again, it, you're joined at the hip with your sales team and it's everyone's job to, to get them on, to get it on. And marketing helps get it on the shelf too, right? Um, so it's not as exclusive as perhaps I made it out to be, but um, but yeah, for me, not having category data would be a huge hindrance to developing a marketing and a promotional plan, um, especially at, at smaller companies or anything like that, so. Well, and you've mentioned several different data sources over mm -hmm. the, the course of our conversation so far. Obviously, there's, I don't think there's probably a produce company with an unlimited budget when it comes yeah. to, to purchasing data. How, yeah. how have you prioritized that? Yeah, so I think, it, again, it, with each, so with each retailer, it's different. So, um, for example, so there's the, the big two, right, which is IRI and Nielsen. And what those give you is competitive data. So it gives you what's called CRMA data. So from a, if you're looking at it retailer specific, um, you can tell what their competition's doing and you're able to share that with them. It's all blinded. So every retailer has a specific CR, CRMA that's defined by them by the data for providers. So, so, so that's why you buy that data, right? And so it depends again on how important that is. 
it's much cheaper to buy the data specifically from the retailer. So Kroger sells their data as an example, and it's far cheaper to buy the Kroger data from Kroger than it is to buy the Kroger data from IRI. However, you don't get the CR CRMA data from Kroger, but you get things like daily sales, um, like literally the next day. So um, it's it's almost instantaneous. So depending on what you're doing, and you get a lot more information about inventory and shrink and things of that nature that you can't get in the IRI system. You can only get that in the Kroger system because it's tied into their warehousing systems. So it really depends on what your buyer thinks is, and what your budget is too. Like if you really are on a tight budget, it's going to be difficult potentially to go from one of the bigger suppliers, but you probably would be able to afford it from the retailer, which would give you insight into your performance, your competition's performance in, in their stores, but not other retailer performance. And, and sometimes that alone is, is, is enough. And I, again, I think the CRMR, CRMA data it's definitely the use of it is more um, established in the center of the store. So I don't, I didn't use it that often. Um, and when I did use it, it, it was after being with a retailer for a pretty long period of time. Cause usually there's enough low hanging fruit just within the own store dynamic that you can address um, without, without even going beyond that. But, but yeah, I think you got to prioritize sort of based on, on your needs. And again, you know, buying Kroger data, as an example, if you're there, can give you a decent understanding of national trends because they're national retailers. So you don't necessarily have total U.S. data, but you might, you know, whatever's happening there is probably happening in the in the total U.S. market. So it can be a proxy. So again, it just depends. What I will say is spending money on the data without having someone to analyze it is a waste. And I see a lot of companies, they will invest $200,000 in the data and then no one to analyze it and help them. I have always done the reverse. I always spend less on the data and more on the analytics because you just don't get anything out of it. And so I just, if, you, if you're not going to really use it, then don't buy it or do a smaller buy that you can actually digest and use, even though there's times when I've wanted more data, I knew that I and my team didn't have the bandwidth. And I am fairly sophisticated in this, but we just didn't have the time to analyze all this data. And so don't buy it. And then, you know, maybe at a later point in time, you buy it, right? So, but I think it's really important to spend on the analytics or the person or a package that's going to give you understanding versus just having it and having it sit there that I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's what I was thinking too is make sure you have the the resources to actually process whatever it is that you buy because otherwise it's it's just hanging out there looking pretty by its lonesome <laughs> well and then the other thing is you have to have the ability to translate so I said being good at excel right but um, you have to have the ability to translate whatever you get out of Excel into a sales presentation, right? So that translation of data, then knowing how to write a good headline um, with the facts and information, that may not be your category management person. That might be your marketing person that sits between them. I, I don't know. I've always done both, um, but that's because I, I started my career as an analyst, right? And then ended up in marketing. So I have a little bit of both. Um, but but yeah, again, you again, even just leaving it in Excel, if you, if you have a person who can analyze it, but then can't take it beyond that to really connect the dots and make the insights, 
it's what good is it doing? You have to really, you know, begin with the end in mind, right? So it's like if our end goal is to have it populate sales presentations, to have us make new help make new product decisions, to have us influence retail behavior. Okay, well, what do you need there? And then back your way into the data. And you might, your data buying might actually end up being quite a bit smaller because you're just going to experiment with it at Kroger. And that's all you can do right now, which is fine, you know? Well, and like you said, it's, it, there's so much to be gained even incrementally, right? It's yeah. like, even though I can't do this for all my retail partners at the moment, hey, start with one. And if you, you know, experience great results from from diving into that more deeply, mm-hmm. budget may magically appear yeah. to do this with some yeah. other partners. Yeah. And, the, and the other thing too is, you know, I think that buyers on the perimeter, they understand the constraints of the perimeter suppliers and the margins. I have had many buyers just share the data with me free of charge. And, and so that's also a way to go. Now, Kroger's not going to do that because they have their system. But I've had other smaller retailers share the data free of charge. And But what they're going to send you over is a raw file, which means it's just a data dump. So if someone knows Excel, then they can, they can work with that data. So again, I... I would always, my if someone's like, hey, we'd like to understand the data more, my first ask would be of your buyer. Can you supply me with, you know, our, our sales data? And depending on their internal team structure, their savviness, the, big, the bigger the retailer, the less likely they are to share it with you um, because they sell it and it's become a profit center for them. Um, but smaller retailers will often share it. Like I said, I... At SunFed, and, and this is me, but it's not, you know, I had, you know, three or four retailers that freely shared their data with us. And then we would analyze it and, you know, send it to the salesperson and they would send it back to them. So sometimes you can get it for free, but then that, but it's not going to be in a pretty dashboard. <laughs> It'll be in a raw format, most likely. Well, and back to your point in making sure, really prioritizing the people part of the investment versus yeah. the numbers part of the investment. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Exactly. So it sounds like, especially with smaller retails, smaller retailers, I should say, there's really a good opportunity to maybe even give them something that that they don't have, right? Because if they're sending you the raw file, they probably don't have the insight necessarily either. Yeah, Yeah, I think um, one of the things that I think we had talked about is, you know, why don't retailers look at this themselves? And they are some are certainly edging more to it. I've seen more retailers with more knowledge of it and more internal teams in in the last three years than I had in my entire career. So they're moving towards it. Um, I, I I don't I honestly sometimes I'm like I don't know why they don't pay more attention to it, but it's because you know they're buying some of the especially when you get into smaller stores. They might be buying for the entire produce department, everything. So are they going to have time to dive into your category? No, um, they just don't. Like they're just worried about bigger problems. And, and at bigger retailers, even them, they, they're they worried about other things. So a lot of times retailers don't have time. So yeah, if they're in it, sometimes you will tell them things they don't know or they're, they're surprised about. And again, even like... Um, if you're doing a presentation to the retailer, but perhaps you don't have that competitive retail data, 
you can still go out and walk the market and make observations and take photographs about what's going on elsewhere, even though you don't know the sell-through data, because that's publicly available free information. You can share that with them. You have to be careful about what you share about one retailer with another, and, and there's very strict rules around that. But hey, you know, you the pricing is public. All these things are published, and I think, you know, so you don't you want to integrate more than just the data. And you can, I think people can do a lot more than they think. It can be, you know, intimidating to get started. But yeah, there's a lot of retailers that just don't have the time. And and some of the buyers, you know, depending, obviously, again, big chains, they have these anal analysts, but smaller chains, those people might not even have the background. A lot of time buyers come up through the grocery channel and they're not, they don't have that analytical bent to them either. So um, they're just, you know, buying. And that's one thing is you can even influence the buying. Like if you notice you're stocking out a lot or sales go down like this through the week or something, if you have daily sales, which you can get at some retailers. So anyway, there's just a lot you can do. I think you should be open to it and do what you can with what limited resource you, you have. Mm -hmm. um, Cause I think, I think any company of any size can have some involvement in this space. Well, and I don't want to keep you too far past our time here, but yeah. what you just mentioned leads nicely into this topic of of category captains. So, real yeah. quickly, when we talk about the lack of retail or the lack of bandwidth sometimes on the retail yeah. side, that this is the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. So, category captains are typically the leaders of the category, um, but it doesn't always have to be. They could be the most innovative. They could be the most data savvy, um, and and that's really a. a a vendor or a partner, really, if you're a category captain, you're truly a partner with them that comes in and tells them what's going on with the category. So far beyond just your product. So um, if you're doing, you know, citrus or something, or, you know, if you're doing lettuces or greens, you're not just talking about what you sell. You're talking about how the whole category performs. You are making recommendations about the category. And that might even mean making a recommendation to remove one of your products from the shelf or change the pricing or do something. So you, if you're going to take on that role, you have to understand that the retailer is really trusting you to be transparent, to be honest, and to, you know, have their best interests in mind, even if it does hurt you a little bit. Um, and sometimes that can be hard. But of course, you know, I think it's better to make a recommendation to remove a product than have them kick you out. So I mean, I think you can build a lot of trust and I with the retailer and stuff like that creates enduring partnerships that that keep you in for the long haul. Um, so I think, you know, if you're if you're a big player in a certain category, you can be doing that. And a lot of people are, um, you know, you can bet that like, you know, the category captain and you can get like the interesting thing is we look at soda. Who do you think the category captain is there? Is it Coke or is it Pepsi? And it probably changes depending on the retailer, um, you know, and 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 so Coke is probably because that's a pretty well like even yoked deal. Yeah. deal. And I, I guarantee you that it's, you know, it's split evenly. So, seems like it could be an interesting strategy for uh, a smaller supplier to, or, or even a bigger supplier, right? Yeah. But especially for their for their maybe a little bit smaller retail accounts to really invest on that analytics side and yeah. and leverage that for partnership. So that's that's yeah. my takeaway from today's uh, yeah. discussion. And I, and I again, I think some of those smaller retailers are really open to sharing the data, so you don't even have to buy it. Mm -hmm. And that's and pe people just. I say always ask, right? No one's going to be upset about you 
saying, you know, I'd love to learn more about what's going on in our, your stores and how our products are doing there. No one's, that's welcome news, right? And and so if they have the capability to do so, they will. Some retailers have, have rules, right? Um, but but anyway, um, I, I always ask. So even if I have the IRI data, I ask because, <laughs> again, you're going to get more different information from their internal systems. So. Excellent. Well, Ashley, anything that we have missed today or anything you really wanted to add before we wrap it up? I'm just looking at my notes here. No, I don't, I don't think so. I think we covered, we covered most of it. I think just, you know, the advice is you'll learn a lot if you can figure a way out, a way to participate in it one way or the other, even if it's on a very, very small scale. And I would say, you know, I'm happy to answer questions or people can look me up on LinkedIn. It's just Ashley Finster and shoot me a note or they can they can ask you um, if people have questions about about how to get started um, in it. And, you know, I also know people who freelance and, and do these types of things. Um, so anyway. Super. Well, I know we only scratched the surface. So we'll, yeah. if you're OK with it, I'll invite you back again yeah. sometime here down the line. Yes, absolutely, Ashley. I would love I would love to talk with you again about all things category management, produce marketing, et cetera, et cetera. Fantastic. Well, thank you again so much, Ashley, for joining us. We'll thank our listeners as well. And we'll see everybody again next week on the Produce Retail Podcast.